I'm Alan Skorsky with my co-host Bela Sebro, and welcome to the Definitive Wrap, where we discuss the news items the mainstream media just won't touch. You know, Bela, this past Thursday night, we watched the debate between President Trump and Vice President Joe Biden. And unlike the first debate, which looked more like a mosh pit than a substantive debate between two presidential candidates, what was really revealing was Biden's admission or non-admission of his plans for the energy sector, which he said would include phasing out oil. Now, I'm sure that for his team of debate preppers, their jaws must have just dropped and they must have thought, what did he just do to us? And besides that issue, he also talked about reviving Obamacare, but calling it Biden care, whatever that means. And there's a lot more to discuss, but I want to know what your opinion is before we bring in our expert guests this afternoon. Well, Alan, I think the second and final debate was a success where Trump is concerned. The calm atmosphere set the stage from the onset. Trump did great. He certainly took it to Biden on the crime bill that he sponsored. He did very well in presenting his case to the African-American community and how he has done so much for them in terms of funding for HBCUs, lowest black unemployment and poverty, and uh, passing the criminal justice reform. And of course, you know, as we know, China is a hot topic for him, not just in terms of the virus, but how he wants U.S. reliance on China to end, and which is music to the average American's ears. And also what he said in the first debate, that he would make America into the manufacturing superpower of the world. So Trump, Allen was well poised and confident. He was definitely uh, very presidential. Uh, and the way he responded to the questions, as well as in debating Biden. Uh, this was a terrific opportunity where I believe Trump undid whatever toxic reaction the first debate created, and he no doubt gave credibility to his 47 months in office. He was very eloquent in his response to Biden's accusations, that's, that's for sure. Absolutely. And, yeah, and he used every opportunity possible to discredit his unfair treatment of the media. Definitely was a drastic change of tone from the first debate, and I feel it worked very well in his favor. In fact, Alan, in speaking to people here in New York, I'm finding a big sway towards Trump, which brings me to introduce our first guest. Uh, Moshe Hill is a political commentator and Chavove, if I'm saying that correctly, Chavove Tzion Fellow, with a weekly column in the Queen's Jewish Link. And he has contributed to the Daily Wire, CNS News, JNS, and multiple other outlets. You can find him at ahillwithaview.com. And uh, Moshe, thank you and welcome to the Definitive Wrap. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. So... I guess what everyone is wondering and talking about and what we, of course, will find out in due time is regardless of what people say on social media and even what the polls say, at the end of the day, do you really think that people will base their voting choice on the candidate they like as a person or will they focus on how we, we have thrived as a country in the last almost four years? In fact, uh, you wrote an article uh, entitled, uh, Disliking Trump is not a good reason to vote Democrat. That is true. I, I did write that and I still believe it. And I find it interesting that uh, those are the two options because I look at this uh, election as a, you are voting for Trump or you are voting against Trump. And that's one of the reasons I'm actually very optimistic for Trump's chances, 
even though the polls don't swing towards him. Because when they ask uh, questions to people uh, during a poll, they ask very definitive questions of who are you going to vote for? Are you going to vote for Biden or Trump? So people give either definitive answers or they, you know, maybe fib. I've spoken to a lot of people who said that they either did lie or would lie if asked because they are the quote unquote silent majority, which I mean, it's hard to tell how silent, how much of a majority is because they are silent, but hopefully uh, that is going to be a, uh, reflected in the polls. Right. So, Marsh, you hit on a point that I thought about also. You know, I understand that uh, for some people, President Trump's style can rub some people the wrong way. I get that part. But in my mind, living in America, I just can't believe that that many people would say that in spite of all of his successes, that they're willing to turn this country over to a team of Biden and, uh, and Kamala Harris. Joe Biden, whatever you want to say about him, decent, not decent, I don't have to get into the weeds about that. But unequivocally, we know that he is suffering from memory loss. Uh, Kamala Harris is certainly the weakest of all the choices that he had of all of the Democrat rivals. If you remember, she dropped out of the race one of you know this, uh, the quickest of all the Democrats. Uh, is America really going to say that we're going to forget about all of Trump's successes because we just hate him so much and turn it over to somebody who really is so out of their element in such an important position? Remember, this is leader of the free world. This is not a Mr. Congeniality contest. <laughs> Absolutely. So there are three statistics that actually give me a lot of hope that it's not just gonna be a Trump victory, it's gonna be a Trump landslide, which is the first one is that uh, 59% of Biden voters say they're voting for Biden because he's not Trump, which basically means that you don't have a lot of enthusiasm for Biden specifically to me. That's how, how, that's how I read that. Now, I think it was around 16, 70% of Trump voters said he wasn't Biden, so that's why they're voting for him. Now, if I were Biden's team, I'd be very nervous because now you don't, you're not making the case to the American people to vote for you. And if you actually look at his campaigning, he's not campaigning. He's not campaigning on why he should be president. He's just campaigning on Trump, why Trump should not be president. And that may get you a nice amount of people in California and New York, but I'm not sure if that, uh, if that plays in middle America. So I, that's one statistic. A second statistic that really brings me hope is the, I think it was Gallup who came out with the poll that said, uh, how many, how are you doing better than four years ago? And it was 56% said yes, compared to, I think it was Obama in 2012, it was like 48. And like all the other presidents had lower than that. He was over 50% and that's with Corona. That's with COVID. So I think that that's a very hopeful statistic. I think people are going to bring that into the polls. The third statistic that makes me very hopeful is all the new registered Republicans that are coming out. I have to look up the exact data, but it seems like from what I saw, a lot of these swing states are registering far more Republicans than Democrats in this election cycle. So those three statistics combined actually put together a model that I've seen um, that shows that Trump has a much better chance than a simple poll of yes or no, who you're voting for, could show you. What do you make also, because we keep hearing that, uh, the Trump campaign, they've knocked on over a million doors, whereas the Biden campaign, they're not knocking on any doors and relying strictly on TV ads. Now, I know that TV ads, 
They certainly introduce you to the candidate. They certainly familiarize themselves. But everyone knows that every successful campaign, whether it's local, federal, that if you're not, you know, wearing out your leather shoes, then you're not really serious. So with that knowledge that there's really no ground game for the Democrats, even if you believe, as I do, that the polling is very skewed, and we saw that four years ago, but should it even be this close, even if they're off? So I'm very nervous about the polling. I think that's the only thing that gives me pause because in my mind, even though I think the polling is off, um, I think it's not off because the pollsters are trying to figure out a way to do it. They have a job to do. They're trying to get the most accurate poll. If they're off, their polls are worthless. Their business model is dead. So they're trying to do the best they can. I think what is basically happening is, let's say you get a, um, a poll and it says that uh, Biden is, has 47% and Trump has 43% and yada, yada, yada. Now, I think that 47% is Biden's ceiling. I think that's as high as he goes. I think Trump has space above him um, in terms of polling that people are just not saying. Now, the issue is we don't know how much space that is. Is that space, you know, two points or is that space 10 points? Because there's a lot of room left. So I think that that's the biggest issue. Now, in terms of ground game, I think that the Trump campaign really should be, um, I mean, there's one, there's a week left. It's kind of hard to get this message out, but they should be, really focusing, and they have been focusing, and we've all been focusing on the fact that Joe Biden's in, been in his basement for the past six months. He hasn't done anything. He hasn't been out there. And he could blame COVID all he wants, which is true. It's a legitimate risk, especially to someone that age. But there, you have to do something. You could even make phone calls from your basement to governors in Oregon, to governors in California, to governors in New York, to all these governors to try to figure out a way to open up these states or stop the rioting that was happening. He could have been a leader. He claimed in the first debate that he in the first debate that he led the Democratic Party. This is what your leader's been doing. You think he's going to do even better? Forget about oh, he's been in office for forty-seven years and done nothing. In the last six months, he's done nothing. And yes, he hasn't been an elected official. So you're going to wait like that's what you want from leaders: someone who waits until he's elected to lead, or someone who will make those phone calls. And you know, you're not violating the Logan Act to call uh, your friend Gavin Newsom in California. You know, I don't think that that's a that's any issue. And you could have led. By example, leading by example is not wearing a mask with nobody around. It's making phone calls and trying to make things happen. Sure. How do you compare uh, this campaign to the one four years ago when Trump ran for the first time for office? It is incredibly different with a lot of the same um, hallmarks because I think that in terms, it's different because he has a record to run on. So he actually has like much more of an argument now, especially in the foreign policy arena. Right. Whereas he was a pure outsider the last time, it was very difficult for him to make a case to people who cared about the resume. Then, right. uh, and he had to run as an outsider. And he says, my resume is outside of government, and that's a big deal. Now he says, my resume is, for, my government resume is four years old, and my opponent's resume is 47 years old. Now let's compare. Right, right. So and he can talk about his success, whereas prior, uh, the first campaign, all he could talk about was his business, which he was, which he was successful in. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Now, something else I want to ask, you know, I, my suspicion is, if you ask Republicans who won, they'll say Trump. If you ask Democrats who won, they'll say Biden. The question is, in your opinion, um, did you notice any knockout punches? And I'll give you an example of something that I saw. 
um, when Donald Trump brought up the issue of fracking. And Biden says he never said he opposed it. He said, if you have a video of it, go out and put it on your website. And I can tell that I myself, I'm sure as thousands of others have, within 30 seconds, found that video on YouTube of the debate at CNN and put it up there. To me, that's as much of a knockout punch as you're going to get. Would you agree with that? Do you think that there were other knockout punches? Will this make a difference? Will it go up? I know the commercials. I'm not following the media in Pennsylvania, but I have to believe that the Republicans grabbed that little clip right there and said, oh, on your website? Okay, here it is. And then just blast it all over Pennsylvania. Yeah, they definitely have to do that. So there are three real strong moments from Trump that, from the campaign, from the debate that I loved. Uh, the first was when he called out Joe Biden on his stare at the camera and saying, it's not about your family and it's not about my family, it's about the American family. And it's like, come on, Joe. Like literally he said to Joe Biden, he called him out on it and said, that's a sort of tired politician trick. Like right. we're asking questions about your family, okay? It is about your family. Right. Okay, and it's a, such a diversion and like appeal to people who are like sitting at home and looking them right in the eye. Yeah, it's a good politician move, but that doesn't play anymore in 2020. That didn't play in 2016 um, as well either. You know, it's, we're in a different age. You, you can't play the same tricks you played 40 years ago. That was one moment. Uh, the second moment that I really loved and was fantastic was when Trump said, what have you done? What have you done, Joe? What have you done? Um, regarding criminal justice reform. And he let, and hilariously enough, Joe Biden walked right into it because he said, I'm trying to answer you, which he should have just shut up and let Trump keep asking the question until the moderator stepped in and saved him. But he's trying to answer you. So then Trump lets him talk and he says, we had a Republican Congress. First of all, no, he didn't. In 2009, 2010, they had a Democratic majority. In the Senate, it was a Democratic supermajority. They, they lost the House in 2010. They lost the Senate in 2014. So you had plenty of time to tackle criminal justice reform. You didn't want to do it. Second of all, you literally just admitted one of Joe Biden's biggest arguments by Trump, uh, by, by his side, is that I reach across the aisle. I know how to work with the other side. I can do these things. Trump can't do it. You literally just said, you admitted during a debate that you can't do it either. So that's dead too. And the third moment, which I loved for a different reason, because it reminded me of something from 2016, was when uh, Trump said something, I don't remember what Trump said, but Joe Biden laughed at his little laugh and said, oh, I don't know where you come from, man. And Trump goes, Queens. And the reason I loved that. Yeah, that was is, good. It was a great moment because it was funny, but it was also reminded me of in 2016, when um, I don't remember who the moderator was, it may have been Megyn Kelly, but she asked Trump during one of the Republican primary debates, well, you have a terrible like, uh, history of, of attacking women. And that was Trump the first replied, question that he got. First debate, first question. And oh my God, that just set the tone. Oh, and and what was his reply? His reply was only Rosie O'Donnell. Right. And that made that everyone funny. laugh and everyone not care anymore. Right. And that's what Trump, because you say, where are you from? Because you're trying to degrade somebody and say, like, you must be from another planet. But once he says Queens, you're like, oh, Joe Biden is the weird one. Because, like, Trump is just a guy who's trying to figure, who's really working to figure this stuff out. And Joe Biden is a lifelong uh, politician who can't do anything. 
And that's really, I thought that was with three great moments. Right. No, go ahead, Bela. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> go ahead, Alan, please. Uh, so let me ask you this now. Um, by the way, you know, we, we love having you on this show, and now we understand why you're a contributor to so many very uh, well-established publications. Uh, we're lucky to have you, and we're lucky to have you this evening. Um, I'm wondering, though, so we know, for example, that Donald Trump supporters, they are rock solid. And when he said, jokingly, people, that he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and they would all support him, it was a joke. Um, I don't think that Joe Biden has, like, Mary, he's got a patchwork of support. Remember, one of the things that he keeps saying, which is so untrue, I'll call it a lie, that no one's calling him out. He keeps saying, I defeated the left. I defeated the left. I defeated socialism. No, you didn't. You were losing every single primary. First place was Bernie Sanders. You had Buttigieg. You had Amy Klobuchar, Elizabeth Warren. Your last chance was South Carolina, where James Clyburn came in and said, okay, black community, you got to get behind Biden. And Obama pulled Klobuchar, Buttigieg, Warren. I said, listen, you guys have to drop out now, otherwise, because if, if Bernie's our nominee, we're through. So he didn't defeat socialism. So now he's got pockets of supporters, whether it's the AOC wing, the Buttigieg wing. When he says things like, I'm not a socialist, or he says, I'm going to work across the aisle, or, you know, I want to be everybody's, uh, you know, president. You understand that for a centrist, for a politician, that's good speak. But for the far left, the word compromise is a four-letter word reasonable is a four-letter word. Their mentality is you're either with us or we are so damn against you. And I'm wondering if over the last two debates, or we'll call it a debate and a half because the first one was a mess, but will the left be forgiving? In other words, how deep is their hatred for Trump that they're going to say, you know what, we'd rather sink with Trump, who we never liked, than be sold out and played by a guy like you? So... In 2016, I think the Bernie bro left didn't show up for Hillary because it was a foregone conclusion that uh, Hillary was going to was, was going to win. And so they're like, we don't need to show up. That's not a foregone conclusion anymore. And also, Bernie is far more of a mouthpiece for Joe Biden than he ever was for Hillary. So I think that they may show up. It makes me a little nervous that the Bernie bro left are going to show up. Um, and you know, that is not something I'm counting on. I'm not counting on them staying home this time. Okay. Moshe, uh, I'm, I'm sure you, you've heard what's been going on, of course. Um, on Thursday, uh, Chuck Schumer sent a letter to FBI Director Christopher Wray uh, calling on him not to launch any political investigation that would influence the election. Nobody seems to be talking about that. I mean, you would think the media would be buzzing with it, and it's really not. There's just, just some slight mention about it. So interestingly enough, uh, Tony Bobolinsky, the uh, Hunter Biden business associate that came out, I think it was last Thursday, um, uh, I think he came out maybe last Wednesday night or last Thursday, basically came out, laid, the, laid out the case. Now, he's on record, and let's say 100% of what he says is a lie which is not because he has like documented pass up. It's still newsworthy. you know, like, Christine Blasey Ford was newsworthy. You know, like everything else was new. Like all the other Kavanaugh accusers were newsworthy. Um, all the, everything is newsworthy except for this. So last night after Shabbos, 
I last night after after uh, what's it called? Last night I, I searched Tony Bobulinski's name on CNN, uh, New York Times, Washington Post, ABC, like a bunch of the every website, every mainstream website. He does not have one article exactly. about his accusations. The only thing I saw was that he was a guest of Trump at the debate. That's the only mention or no mention at all. Yeah. That is the media losing their last ounce of credibility. Right. They have zero credibility. At this point, when I see a headline, I think the opposite is true. That's just the way it is with them. They, they destroyed themselves. Right. Okay, thank you so much, Moshe. Thank you. Moshe, again, on behalf of myself and Bela, we want to thank you. Uh, we'd love to have you back again. Uh, obviously, you're an expert in this field and many other areas of politics, and we'd love to have you back as a guest. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. My pleasure. It was a great time. Okay, have a good evening. You too. Bye-bye.